0: another pot of coffee is brewing and my fifth cup is almost finished so that means it's time for not before coffee i'm your host ray self-confessed bookworm film addict hermit long-term depression sufferer and definitely This week I have decided that I am going to change things up. Just a little. No, I'm not getting rid of film or books, or even the mental health bit, because these are who I am. However, I am going to start talking about films that I really enjoyed watching. I'm not saying that I don't like the DCOMs but I was never really their intended audience and it is getting harder to look at them objectively when I was in my 30s and sometimes 40s when they came out and I don't think that I was ever as carefree or naive as the characters that are in them. No, that also doesn't mean I'm going to start talking about films like Schindler's List or Sweet Francaise. By the way... If you like a good book that has a proper ending, I personally would recommend staying away from the latter. The films in my DVD collection aren't all aimed at an older audience, but they also aren't necessarily targeting young teen and tween audiences like DCOMs. I'm not old enough to be a parent to the cast in most of these films on my shelves, given how flattering the light shed on parental units in Disney Channel original movies sometimes is, I did often feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to abandon DCOMs or Disney, not at all. In fact, they are my regular viewing. There are still some films to talk about and I do want to tackle the heartbreakers that are up Onward and Moana at some point. But this week I am going to delve into the bitchy world of competitive gymnastics with the 2006 film Stick It. I will also be talking about the book I recommended last week, if you could go anywhere, because I wanted to make myself cry by reading it all over again. And if you're interested in finding out what is coming to a UK streaming service near you this week, then this is definitely the place to be. But before we get there... It's time for another instalment of My Dreams Are Fucking Weird, because of course, why wouldn't they be the gift that keeps on giving? I really don't know what to make of this dream, and I think I probably say that every single week. I honestly think that it's tied to a few things that have been happening in my real life, such as my next door neighbour, who is currently hiding from creditors, registering at my address so that all her debt collector post comes to me and my current fascination with dreaming about being able to purchase a property and move somewhere with a garden and a secure front door. I never said that dreams had to be logical and this one really is a bit out there. So this whole dream obviously happens in the peak of summer, that we something that we rarely get in the UK. But as I walk down the stairs from my bedroom, remember I actually really in real life live in a block of flats, I notice that there is some loud noise coming from somewhere. I walk through my lounge, give a cursory gl- glance to the bifold wooden glass doors. These will come into play in a bit and they don't really exist. And walk to my front door where I notice firstly that the door is off its hinges and leaning against the lobby wall and then that there is a huge pile of posts all addressed to my neighbour. Seeing a few of my neighbours gathered in the lobby I go over to my neighbour, her name is Karen, yes really, and say that I am sick of getting all her crap posts through my door. She tells me that it won't be a problem for much longer as it's been arranged that the numbers on the doors are going to be switched. So she'll have her flat number back. And this is going to sound weird, but my current next door neighbour, before I moved into my existing flat, she lived here. A couple of years ago, she moved out of the building and into a property with her brother-in-law so she could stay somewhere under his name creditors again and then about two years ago she moved back into the building and became my next door neighbour. Anyway I then see the couple who live upstairs from her and one of them says something like isn't this all great? Being honest at this point I still have no idea what he's talking about. All of a sudden two little girls and as there's only one living in this building and she's two I have no idea where these came from. They run up and ask me if they can play with Darcy. I say yes. Now that's weird on its own. And they rush into the flat. I tell them that they need to close some doors so Darcy can't get out of the building and onto the main road. And then I tell them that they need to wash their hands. I do have a bit of a thing about washing my hands and I will wash them repeatedly. And I've done that since way before this whole coronavirus thing came into play. And this is where things become just a tiny bit more detailed about the flat now I actually live in a really large flat my kitchen is 25 foot long though it's only nine foot wide and it's not been laid out in the best way with cupboards all the way along and small spaces left for appliances if they designed it better I could have had a dining area in the kitchen but it's not my flat I rent so What is really strange is when I walk into the kitchen, I discover that there are now two sinks. One where the current sink is and at the other end of the kitchen, there is a round sink next to an exterior door. This exterior door does not exist because if there were a door in my kitchen at the other end of the kitchen, it would be opening into the flat opposite me where my hairdresser lives. Would be really convenient for getting my hair done, but i doubt very much she would like a door into her flat and I know that I wouldn't like one into mine either. So I walk to this door and open it and find that there is a metal fire escape style staircase. The banister is lined with flowers and it leads up to a meadow. So I go up these stairs and find myself in this beautiful and large outside area that we definitely do not have and sit down on the grass. Darcy who has never been outside well that's a lie she jumped off my balcony once and I live on the first floor which in the US would be the second floor so she jumped down an entire story and then hid because she didn't like the noise. Anyway she's never been outside properly apart from when I take her to the vets and she is playing happily with these two little girls in the meadow which is unusual in itself as she also hates people. And then a skinny, dark tabby comes from nowhere and Darcy's attention is caught. She does this cute little stiff jump that she used to do when she was a kitten. You know, the tiny little jump where they're on all four, their legs are rigid and they just jump with no apparent bouncing mechanism at all. And the other cat runs away when she hisses at her. And then all of a sudden I'm in the flat again. I haven't walked down these stairs. I haven't opened a door. I'm just in the flat. I've now noticed that there are quite a few differences that I previously didn't register such as I have a really open plan flat. There are wooden glass bifold doors from the kitchen to the lounge which is, now I think about it, a lot like the large and airy living room that my great-aunt used to have in a house when she lived near the sea. But And she turned 93 this week. In fact, I think her birthday was on Monday. And my kitchen is obviously very different. Clean floor, wooden work surfaces. Have I moved into my dream home all of a sudden? And then I go to the front door again, and everything out there looks the same as it does currently. I hear the neighbours talking, and one says, They moved us all in our sleep. Well, I have two questions there, and the first one is, Who is they? The second is, Where did they move us to? Then the postman arrives, and he hands me a one metre by one metre square hardbacked envelope. And on The front of it in really large, swoopy handwriting. Do you remember the really rounded handwriting that girls used to love back in the 80s and 90s? Is written my mum's name. Not Mrs. Blank, but her actual full name. Before I wake up, I take another walk through the flat, noticing all the differences from the wooden floor to the fresh coat of paint and the stairs to my bedroom, Again, how did I not realise that this was different when I came downstairs at the beginning of the dream? But all my stuff is in the flat. I mean, everything from my sofas to my desks and my bookcases, and nothing seems to have actually been moved out of place, even though everything is different. I I honestly don't know what to make of it, but that was my dream. I have no idea how I recall it in so much detail. Many people comment and have commented to me after listening to my podcast, how do you remember your dreams? And I would say it is partially to do with the fact that I have always remembered them and probably a lot to do with the fact that I take a considerable number of medications that affect my brain chemistry. So if you take these medications, you may well have the same experience. If you do remember your dreams, please let me know. It sounds a strange request. I don't always have weird dreams, but if you do have one and you would like to share it, you're happy to share it. Why not send it over to me at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com. And I can completely anonymize it if you don't want your friends to know that you had it. But I would love to share other people's strange sleep experiences and that sounds really wrong, but you know, what I mean, if you have a strange dream that you would like to share, please email it to me and I would be happy to share it on my on my podcast. As I've already mentioned, this week I am talking about Stick It. Sounds rude, right? But given the content of this film, it means two things. Sticking a landing and just plain old fashioned Stick It. The film came out in 2006, the same year as the first High School Musical, Casino Royale, Idiocracy, which I love, and I think is quite a good commentary on today's society, Superman Returns, X-Men The Last Stand, and a considerable number of others. Given this competition, it would be understandable if you didn't remember the film. The only actor of note in it at the time was Jeff Bridges. Missy Peregrine, the lead, had previously played an uncredited role in the absolutely dreadful Catwoman and small roles in single episodes of shows like Andromeda, Jake 2.0 and Dark Angel. Of course, now she's probably better known for her lead roles in Reaper. I love that show. Long missed. <laughs> and Rookie Blue and FBI. And for a while, she was also married to Zachary Levi. You know, Shazam. I don't know why I suddenly got the urge to watch the film. I think it may have had something to do with the fact that when I was going through Amazon Prime last Thursday, I came across Whippet and I was reminded of how much I liked Stick It. Not that Whippet is a bad film, but I don't understand roller derby, and I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, and I understand gymnastics. So, where to start? I guess the beginning is probably the best place in the beginning sorry couldn't resist oh uh, we'll see well in the beginning we see a couple of boys on stunt bikes at a construction site in the back of this house that is still being built there is a pool which is perfect for stunts they have decided and they're checking it out when a group of other boys who have got skateboards with them arrive And the two separate groups end up having a competition to see who gets access rights to the big pool. Because though there are others, this one is the biggest and apparently the best. The two boys, and if you've watched Twilight, you may recognise that one is played by Kellen Lutz. Yep, Emmett Cullen, agree. And then their third, who has been hiding their face, is up higher than everybody else and is not immediately seen agrees to participate. This person has a very loose hoodie on with the hood pulled up over their head and tied tightly so you can't actually make out their features. Whoever this is they are pretty good. They have great balance, good control, fantastic coordination and well at least they do until they don't. All of a sudden things go incredibly wrong. The bike and rider smash through a single glazed, seriously, door that leads into the house that is part and parcel with the massive pool and the three end up on the run unfortunately the rider who smashed through the door has no longer got access to their bike because it's stuck in railings and i've never understood why they are used as a feature inside a property and they end up obviously running off on foot it's at this point that we discover you can't see me but I am showing zero shock, that the stunt biker is actually a girl, Haley Graham, our lead. The hidden under baggy clothes and hat device is used far too often and in this, in a way this is actually, it's used pretty well in this film but I can't help thinking of films like She's the Man or the fantastic but unfortunately relatively recently cancelled AJ and the Queen. Haley is a rebel Angry at her parents and stuck between the warring exes, she's used like an unwilling pawn. The first time I watched this, I was rooting for her mum when they were all in court and Haley was making her case, and the judge was <laughs> putting down her judgment. She actually seemed to care. That does change. I have never been in juvenile court for any reason, so I'm not sure if this is actually an option given to people when they're being sentenced for property damage or not, but Haley is given two choices, somewhere called VGA or Military Academy. The expression on Haley's face says it all when despite saying she'd prefer to go to the Military Academy, the judge tells her, or well, VGA it is, before bringing down her gavel. It's only when Haley is driven home to pack up her things that you find out she was once a really talented gymnast but when she was in the midst of competing at the world championships so she's not only really talented she's also really driven and dedicated she just walked away without any explanation losing her chance of winning a medal and also losing the usa any chance of getting medaled I've never forgotten when I was a child, I was fascinated with gymnastics when I was a child and I've never forgotten going to watch a display when I was, I was nine, good God, that's so many years ago, at a London stadium and when I was a kid, London was just London, not specific venues, it was just a long train journey or a really long bus ride with the school. And I saw, for the first time, the round-off back handspring entry vault performed by Natalia Yuchenko. I grew up in the era of Nadia and Oksana, when they were still introducing new tricks that are standard today. And I loved it. I never had the courage to do more than a neck spring, and even that scared the life out of me. So, of course, a film with gymnastics at its core is always going to be prime viewing. As Hayley is being driven out of town, her friends, who she didn't turn in for being at the construction site with her, come to see her off. And one, Poot, who is played by John Patrick Amadori, now in Dear White People, throws her his phone and tells her to keep in touch. It's only when she actually arrives at the VGA you find out what it is. It's the Vickerman Gymnastics Academy. Bert Vickerman is played by the always wonderful Jeff Bridges. He's an ex-gymnast turn coach who is always promising the parents that their kids will go to the Olympics. Why wouldn't you tell paying customers <laughs> after all that what well, exactly what they want to hear when you want their money from them? As soon as she arrives at the school, Vickerman tells Hayley that she always had promise and she's going to train or she can go to the military academy. This bit I admit confuses me she wants to go to military academy she doesn't want to be practicing gymnastics or doing stunts or anything else even though it's something she seemed to thrive on when she was on a bike and it's the whole reason she's there in the first place she has offered a way to get out of the punishment she doesn't want so I really don't get why she doesn't take it though I'm forever grateful because it gives me some amazing gymnastics to view what we are then treated to is a lot of gymnastic montages, which I happen to love, if you couldn't tell. Some look like a kaleidoscope, and others are just straight-out routines. Over all of it, we have Hayley's narration about comparing elite gymnasts with Navy SEALs, which is an interesting comparison. Of course, Haley isn't going to escape unscathed. Because everyone perceives that she choked at worlds and cost the country a medal spot, she's considered incredibly unpopular not only by the gymnasts at the school, but by random audience members at competitions, by parents, and even by sport reporters and judges. However, she's not alone in being disliked. Vickerman has a reputation for having a lot of injured gymnasts. The judges roll their eyes when they see him, and most parents wouldn't touch his school with a barge pole, something that one of the parents makes very clear when she gets angry at him for telling her the truth about her daughter's lack of Olympic potential. This is actually a huge turning point for Vickerman. It's impossible to ignore the fact that the movie is littered with a large number of popular 1990s and early 2000s phrases, motions and movements. From the handphone used whenever Haley talks to Joanne, another student at the school, who is incredibly resentful that Haley is apparently returning to gymnastics, to the tone of voice that will be familiar to anyone who has ever watched Clueless. Joanne, played by Vanessa lengies who went from filming Waiting, which also starred Ryan Reynolds the year before, is a comedic highlight in this film. No joke, I don't think she's meant to be. Her lines are among some of the best when it comes to making me laugh. When Haley tells Vickerman that she'll compete for his school in the next competition if he gets on the trampoline and performs one of his old routines, Joanne tells him, If you get on this tramp, you will have a cardiovasectomy. I will have a cardiovasectomy. Think about your weenus. She says the last bit while pointing to her elbow. She also has one of the lines that the film is probably best known for. It's not called gymnastics when she is pulled up by Haley for being manipulative and mean to one of their fellow students. Though she is sly and definitely has an ego on her, Joanne is not quite the mean girl she is originally made out to be. On the surface, Stick It is about a group of girls who are competitive gymnasts. Most are there because it's their one true love. They have been training since they were small and their entire lives have been dedicated to it. It's kind of like if you are a dancer, you train from a really young age. My niece has been dancing since she was two. She is now 20. Finally, well, not finally, she's been at dance school for a very long time, but she's now training to be on the West End and that is her end goal but she has been dancing for 18 years which is a considerable period of time. It's clear that at one point even Haley was obsessed living, breathing and eating Jim. Not literally though because I don't think they actually mean eat mat as a meal but as I said stick it has two meanings and the second one comes into play when the team gets into the state finals. The scoring system in gymnastics is horrid, and this isn't just a film tool, it really is horrid. It's strict, it's petty, and the rules give judges who aren't keen on a gymnast, for whatever reason, a chance to pick, pick, and pick some more. So the girls are going to stick it to the man. It may be sad... And it may be stupid. No, it's not stupid. This is a film I enjoy and that's important. But this is the point in the film where I get a bit of a chill. The bar, the asymmetric bars, the floor routines, the vault. I love watching all of it. I have to admit that I won't watch the Olympics. But that's not because I don't enjoy watching the gymnastics itself is because I can't stand the commentators and with especially the floor routines you need to hear the music and when they are talking over it you can't hear anything and they are distracting I cannot stand the we think they're going to do this and we think the judges might believe this I don't need to hear it I just want to watch them perform which is why watching this sort of performance live it's electric it really is during the competition, we discover the real reason that Haley turned her back on performing when we again see her mother. Her mother is played by Gia Caridis, who was one of the cousins in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the one who loved the really exuberant and bright dress and was constantly trying to make her cousin wear things that were so inappropriate, not because they were too suggestive, but because they were pretty hideous. It's not so much that her mother is concerned for her, it is more that her mother is concerned for her lover, who just happens to be Haley's ex-coach, Krista Frank. Now, Krista Frank is paid played by John Capilas. And I think I've probably pronounced his name incorrectly and I apologise. He's been in so many things, including Breakfast Club, the Umbrella Academy and one of my favourite ways to relax on a Sunday afternoon, the Sweet Life on Deck. Essentially, Haley's world fell apart at Worlds because she discovered her ex-coach, who comes across as a perfect sleazeball, was having an affair with her mother and there was the destruction of her parents' marriage. That Hayley discovered this before she was about to do something incredibly stressful physically and mentally makes the fact that she walked away incredibly unsurprising and I don't personally blame her for doing it. The film has a happy ending because as much as I like watching stuff that makes me cry, I want my endings to be ones that could lead to a sequel but still end the story. Anyone who hears this, please don't play with this film. I like things that just end leaving me wanting more, but not getting it. And to be fair, that's often how I like my books. There is something about this film that just makes me feel happy. Whether it's the fact that though there are serious elements to the story, it's also a lot of fun. Or perhaps it's the fact it's about gymnastics. It could just be that. I don't know but I can happily watch it quite a few times and still see bits I have missed such as the cameo from Nadia, the first gymnast to ever score a perfect 10 at the Olympics and her husband, Bart Connor, an ex-American gymnast who also starred in a stunt BMX film called Rad. Now I had never heard of this film and I was doing research for Stick It when I discovered that Nadia Comaneci was married to Bart Connor, who starred in this film *Rad*, that was discussed in a YouTube show by Jamie French. She did a whole review on this film, and I just couldn't get over the fact that I was—I found all this information, and it linked back to something that I'd laughed my head off over about a week ago. I have to say that there are also some really funny sequences in this film. Most of them are dreamlike sequences. One of them includes a very stiff judge performing a floor routine because Haley is trying to calm way, way down and encourage her. And she essentially says, I imagine them trying to perform our routines. And I think the reason they score us badly is because they can't do what we can. And that sets up an entirely hilarious dream sequence with this judge who is very long-limbed and lanky performing a floor routine. You just have to see it. It's that amusing. So if you're short of something to do and really need some entertainment, you can find this film on Amazon Prime to rent. I ended up buying a copy because I watch it often enough that I didn't really want to rent it. It's not all about the gymnastics. Jeff Bridges is brilliant as Vickerman and it is a fun film. Do you love film soundtracks and listen to them on repeat after going to see the film? If you're like me and used to buy the CDs and now head over to Spotify, Apple or any other online music provider to find the soundtrack, then this is the podcast for you. That song from that movie. Hi I'm Dietrich I'm Alex And I'm Ben We're from the podcast That song from that movie The journey through the very best And worst of movie songs We want you to join us On our voyage Across the cinematic sound waves As we take a deep dive On a new song and movie Each week To figure out Just what makes them tick Already we've set sail With Celine Dion On the Titanic found a friend in Toy Story and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song? Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie. Like the sound of that? Head over to listen to them after you've listened to the rest of this. There's more. Now, I've talked about what I watched several times this week, (laughs) in that I watched that film several times. I can't just watch it once. Let's take a look at the UK streaming services and see what they've got to offer. Unfortunately, being the second week of the month, there's not much coming out anywhere, but I'm sure you can find something to entertain you. I hope you can, because I'm going to be in the same boat this week. I'm sort of happy to say that though Christmas is still playing a very big part in the new Netflix releases this week, there is something for everyone. On the 10th, which is today as I'm recording, a limited series called Dash and Lily arrived. John Legend's Jingle Jangle arrives on the platform on the 13th. I have seen promos for that and I still don't quite understand what it's about, but maybe I'm alone in that. And for all of you nostalgia lovers out there, Dawson's Creek, Moesha, Sister Sister and Girlfriends are also heading to Netflix. Though I'm not a massive fan of this era of the royal family, The Crown finally hits the 80s when it returns. So prepare yourself for the drama that was Charles and Di. In case you missed it, and you love it as much as I do, the amazing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse finally hit Netflix UK at the end of last week. So if you haven't seen it yet, or you haven't rewatched it, why not make that an evening's viewing? Okay, now we're on to Amazon. This one was actually harder. Amazon tends to be a little bit hit and miss when it comes to their new releases. They are still focusing quite heavily on cheesy but fun sort of Christmas dramas that were once aired on Hallmark. That said, they also added Scrooged, a bit of 1980s Bill Murray fun, 21 and 22 Jump Street, so if you're a fan of Channing Tatum you can head over there, Miss Congeniality, how to train your dragon yes toothless and a tom hanks film that still makes me laugh the money pit disney plus is another one where it seems to be more hit and miss and in recent weeks it has been incredibly slow when it comes to new content however it is adding an episode a week of the mandalorian i know that there are a lot of fans out there for this I really do. I see all the podcasts, I see all the posts. I get the comments from my nephew, who is a huge fan. But I haven't seen a Star Wars film since the 1980s, so it definitely wasn't made with me in mind. I am probably in the minority, though. And from this week, the platform will also be adding episodes of the final ever season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So if you haven't had a chance to see that yet, you know exactly where to head. All around, it's a pretty disappointing list. But things are going to pick up again, of that I have no doubt. The closer we get to Christmas, the more content there will be. Unfortunately, the pandemic has put paid to filming of a considerable number of projects, so we are going to have to go with what we've got. But there is still a glut of older content to enjoy, and that's what I will probably be doing, especially if Christmas is restricted to bubbles this year, as I don't happen to be in one. And if that is the case, I will be spending the whole event with Darcy and my TV. Last week, I talked about Johnny Be Good and I mentioned how this book, this one I'm going to talk about today, was my ultimate favourite by Paige Toon. So I figured, you love it so much, talk about it. So I am. Just like every other book I've read by Page Toon, this gave me the feelings. Unlike Johnny Be Good, they weren't feelings of frustration, that he was a jerk, or that Meg was so indecisive, and should probably have walked away. No, these were feelings that I could both identify with and remember so clearly. In fact, as I read this book for the first time, on the bus on the way to work one morning in February, I had to hide my face as I was sobbing like a baby. If You Could Go Anywhere is Paige Toon's book of 2019, so it's only a year old. Like many authors of so-called lit a genre I will happily admit I love, she releases just one book a year, and this was the one. The book sat on my Kindle for a while before I read it, but I wanted to savour it, and that's what I ended up doing. I've now read it about five times, I think, and each time I still choke up just a little bit when I read certain scenes. The novel is about Angie, who, at the age of 27, has never left the small town of Coober Pedi where she lived with her grandparents after her mother died. The one claim to fame her hometown has is that it was the site for some scenes in the movie Pitch Black with Vin Diesel. Angie has always wanted to travel, but due to the loyalty she always felt to her family and the small community she grew up in, somewhere along the way her plans were derailed. So instead of travelling around the world and experiencing life for herself, she collects postcards sent to her by the people who pass through town. The first question she always asks them is, if you could go anywhere... After the death of her grandmother, which happens at the beginning of the book and is actually the scene that completely broke me, she discovers a letter hidden behind a bottle of wine and it sends her on a literal journey of discovery to find out the truth about her mother and the father she never knew. Her determination to find out where she came from leads her to Italy, where she has a beautiful and touching meeting with the man who is her father. That she is the product of an affair he had while married is not glossed over and hidden under a carpet simply because she is the central character. And this is something that I have grown to appreciate about Paige Toon's work. She tackles the rough and the smooth and is honest about the hurt that is caused. No character is ignored because the story may be unpleasant. Her first meeting with her father, Julio, is awkward if only because she doesn't know how to react, and neither does he. And there's also a slight language barrier, but is helped by the fact that he is welcoming and overjoyed that they have found each other. And then there's Alessandro. No romance is complete without a romantic hero, of course. He's not dark and mysterious, but he does have pain in his eyes and a history that will make even the hardest heart bleed just a little. In the beginning, it does feel as though he wants to resent Angie. But then you see that he's more damaged and you really want to find out what caused the pain that turned him into the sort of man who likes to jump off mountains without any care. And he really doesn't. Things are complicated further in the relationship between Alessandro and Angie when it's revealed that he is Julio's... Angie's father's stepson. This is, of course, not the trauma which darkens Alessandro's mood. The tragedy he is struggling to overcome is something that he has blamed himself for his entire life, the death of his baby sister. In Rome, Angie starts to come into her own. She's building strong friendships, builds a relationship with her father and his family, and all the while her feelings for Alessandro are growing. She wants to help him as she helped all the people back home. Alessandro is difficult to reach. He is consumed with guilt for what happened to his sister and he isolates himself, pushing people away when all they want to do is help him. As the book reaches its culmination, I'm not going to spoil it for you, I just recommend you read it, Angie pushes herself to take even more risks. This is the last lap. We are heading to the end of the book. But it's also the beginning for Angie who has finally moved on and is helping her father and Alessandro to do the same. They're all learning together. This novel is full of grief. It's so real and so painful that as I read through it, I could feel my throat closing up. And I really could. I was, no joke, sitting at work, finishing the book and digging my fingernails into my palms so I didn't cry because that's how I prevent myself from crying. It is something that reminded me of the pain I felt when I saw my grandmother take her last breath and the sickness that gnawed at my stomach when I went to my dad's funeral when I was 11. If You Could Go Anywhere is a book I can read again and again, but not multiple times in a row. It's a story about self-discovery and healing. Angie is not without her own trauma and sadness, but she never hesitates when someone needs comfort or help. Alessandro has a lot of demons and handles them in a way that many including me, would consider dangerous and possibly incredibly close to self-harm. He's a daredevil who has no concept of self-preservation except where his feelings are concerned. He does his best to distance himself from his family and his friendships are strong, but they're not close enough that he puts his own emotions at risk. In some ways his coping method is also incredibly selfish because despite trying to keep people at a distance they still care for him Angie, Julio, Julio's parents, but Alessandro struggles to open up, to confide, to share with anybody what he feels. When he reaches his low points, he closes himself off and often leaves town to further build distance between him and the things that have made him feel whatever it is. And despite being close to Julio, Alessandro has a very nomadic life. He lives in his van, Frida, And that is his only real home, a base that he can move when his mood takes him. I have, I actually did a lot of research about this when I was first reviewing it and I saw so many reviews that commented on the way that Alessandro's mental health issues were dealt with and Though the initial reaction Angie has when she finally catches up with Alessandro in Norway on his journey of self-destruction is definitely not the right one. She basically says, well, I'll jump and maybe I'll die too. They're jumping off a really high cliff. I can't pronounce the name of it and I'm not even going to try She is acting on instinct, putting herself in harm's way because she knows that Alessandro cares for her and he won't want her to be in danger. Yes, this is not a long term plan. It's probably not the best plan. And that is made very clear at the end of the book when Angie shares that therapy is helping Alessandro to finally let his guilt go. So she does get him to therapy. It's incredibly difficult to reach people in pain, and sometimes a sharp shock is needed, though it's never the long-term answer. This book is an amalgamation of everything I love about Paige Toon's work. She pulls you into the story, makes you feel, and makes you care for the characters she's created – That said, I have loved all of the books that came before this one, 13 Weddings, Lucy in the Sky and Johnny Be Good, which I talked about in last week's episode. If you haven't heard it, you know where to find it on Spotify, on Apple and everywhere else. This one, though, it is right up there with my favourite by Jill Mansell, To the Moon and Back. Clearly, I have a big thing for books that make me cry until my eyes are sore and my throat is dry. Would I recommend it? 100% yes. Okay, so now I've talked about other people's mental health, I am going to talk about mine. This week, things are going to get a little bit more real and a tad deeper as I talk about mental health issues that unfortunately meant I didn't get my episode out on the day I promised it which is why it's now being released this Thursday so if you were expecting it on Tuesday I apologize and I hope you understand I'm sure you do because you're all great for a few reasons it's been a few hard days especially since last Friday uh <laughs> My anxiety levels rose to an eight, possibly a nine. I didn't sleep very well. I've had nosebleeds and I've just generally felt really not with it. So why did this happen? The good thing is I actually know some of the reasons why this has happened. I wish I understood everything, but if I understood everything, I wouldn't have any issues anyway. We're a few days into the second lockdown here in the UK and many businesses have had to close their doors, some possibly for the very last time. The high street is taking a massive hit with businesses, restaurants, pubs and smaller shops and clothing stores having suffered immensely already. The business I work for is considering using the generous government furlough scheme to ease things and this is a bombshell they just happened to drop on Friday afternoon just before we closed doors for the weekend. They have decided that it will not be based on a business needs situation this time it will be based on mental health. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that this is not something that a paranoid, anxiety-driven depression sufferer needs to hear. I've been made redundant four times, and though I know realistically whatever is decided, it's not necessarily going to lead to redundancy, that fear is there. I'm a content creator, a writer, an editor. My role isn't 100% necessary in the company I work for. But every single day I strive to make myself needed. I learn new skills. I fill in for people when they're sick or on holiday. I work to fit in even though my nature and my mental issues make that something that is sometimes incredibly difficult, can make me ill and is more stress than I care to admit on a normal basis so though I know that there is absolutely nothing I can do to change what happens and it hasn't even happened yet it might not even happen I can't keep the negative thoughts from my head and they have contributed to make the last few days a frustrating and tumultuous eternity. The thought that someone is currently looking at my work ethic and judging my suitability to work on the basis of my mental health feels both unfair and extremely unethical. Deep down, I know that they have my best interests at heart, and it may be that this is just a result of my paranoia. That I'm seeing things in what has been said that aren't actually there. However, the whole weekend I've had stress nosebleeds, headaches, and I've been so irritable that even though I knew what this episode was going to be about last week, I'm still putting it together at the last minute. If you are struggling with your mental health, speak to a friend a counsellor, call a helpline or contact a health professional. There are people out there to listen and sometimes we all have to admit that we can't do it alone. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. I release a new episode every week, normally on a Tuesday. And if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Facebook at Not Before Coffee Podcast. I update on both quite a lot. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough because my eyes are starting to close and I'm feeling tired and it's not even seven o'clock. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell.